Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The, you say it's urgent, edition, as my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me for an emergency podcast following breaking news out of Paul Brown Stadium. We'll discuss surprises on the just-announced starting offensive line, the undrafted rookie-wide receiver who no longer has to worry about making the cut, and Lap will also field some of your questions via Twitter. Plus, two additional conversations. We'll hear from John Ross, who practiced for the first time since training camp began on Sunday, and I'll talk to a player on the roster bubble who says Thursday's final preseason game is... In his words, life-changing. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since Thermocell's Patio Shield Mosquito Repeller. There is no love on earth that compares to the way mosquitoes love me. In the summer, I am a living, breathing mosquito bite. Well, recently, my wife purchased the Thermocell Patio Shield Mosquito Repeller, which claims to create a 15-foot zone of protection on your patio or deck. It's easy to use, looks pretty cool, and there's no spray, smoke, or scent. We broke it out last night, and I am mosquito bite-free. So as of now, it qualifies as a great invention. Let's get to football. As you probably know, football coaches can be pretty evasive when it comes to sharing information. For example, a head coach might hold a news conference and answer every question with, we're on to Cincinnati. But it doesn't appear that Zach Taylor will follow that formula. On Sunday, he was asked if the Bengals had decided on a starting offensive line. He said yes, and named the starters. Later, he was asked about the battle for roster spots at wide receiver and shared that undrafted rookie Damian Willis will start in the season opener at Seattle. That all qualifies as breaking news and more or less demanded an immediate edition of the Bengals Booth Podcast. Lap, we've called for an emergency podcast after rather extraordinary news conference from Zach Taylor on Sunday where he was as honest and as direct as an NFL head coach can be. This was very unlike Marvin Lewis for the last 16 years where he didn't feel comfortable in sharing a lot of the information that Zach Taylor shared on Sunday. But let's start with the offensive line. When asked if he had decided who the guys were going to be to start up front against Seattle, he not only said yes, he laid it out. And here is the group, Cordy Glenn, left tackle, rookie Michael Jordan, left guard, Trey Hopkins, center, not Billy Price, John Miller, right guard, Bobby Hart, right tackle. Your reaction? Well, my initial reaction is hopefully Cordy Glenn, left tackle, is in concussion protocol, and with those situations you never know. It could be, um, it could be dicey, it could be up in the air, but you hope he's able to go at left tackle. If not, Andre Smith will get the nod out there at the left tackle position in Seattle. Tough place to open up as a, as a left tackle, not having a whole lot of snaps there. But that's way down the road, I guess. The thing about Michael Jordan, Dan, his good is very, very good. I mean, he, he, when, you see, when you see him at his best, his upside is monstrous. 
Now, his bad is pretty bad, too. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's worrisome. Um, but in, And there's going to be some, some ups and downs that you're going to have to deal with, with with a young player like that. But the fact is, his upside is so high that I think that uh, Coach Jim Turner and everybody involved in the decision-making just said, you know, we got we got to let's roll with this guy. And he's physical, athletic. You know, this guy's massive. I mean, he's big, thick, broad, wide. Everywhere you can be big, he's big. And there's a 32-inch vertical jump. That's some explosion. When you can get a body that size off the ground, 32 inches, man, that, that's impressive. So arms are long. I'm doing the one-arm punch that we talked about before that Jim Turner is employing in pass protections. His arm is <laughs> looks like it's got a, 70 inches of length to it, the way he throws that thing out there and stymies people. So... I can understand why they're going there, and, he, and he's smart. You know, it's not like it's too big for him mentally, so I think they feel good about that. And then Trey Hopkins at the center position, very intelligent himself. You know, um, he's been referred to as a football savant. You know, he understands why, not just what they're doing, but why they're doing what they're doing and how to do it the right way, and uh, he's, he's going to be great in terms of making calls and communicating with the young you know, rookie left tackle. Not that Billy Price couldn't. Billy's, just, you know, same thing. Very smart, understands the game, and all that goes along with it. But just right now, whether it's due to Billy's, you know, uh, plantar fasciitis that he's battling in his foot, or it's it's due to Trey Hopkins' excellence um, or consistency, I'll put it that way. Because, like we said, Trey's never going to blow you away. Like, oh man, he's overpowering, but he's not going to screw it up either. So you know what you're going to get. He may be the most consistent player that they've had in the organization for the, you know, snaps that he's been out there. His his uh, peaks and valleys are not like, oh, what am I going to get? I know exactly what I'm going to get from him. Whereas with Michael, you know, it's like, ooh, and what am I going to get? The good is going to be very good, but the bad might not be so great, obviously. So it, it's interesting that they, they get the nod, and it, it, it speaks volumes to uh, a, lot of, a lot of organizations give lip service to it. It's not, you know, how you got here. It's what you do once you get here. Here you have a fourth-round pick and a college free agent entering the NFL uh, in that manner, and they're both uh, the starting linemen in the National Football League. So it sends a message. It sends a message to not just those guys for being rewarded for their effort, but their teammates that, you know, if you're out here thinking you got a job and you're just taking it for granted and you're rolling your helmet out on the field to practice every day, you better pick it up, man, because somebody's going to replace you. Especially when the undrafted guy is now starting in place of last year's first-round draft pick. No question about it. And, you know, it's if, if you have some guys that are, are you know, kind of sitting back and cruising, and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. Nobody's good. You gotta, you gotta, every day you've got to go out there and compete, compete for your job. And the other side of that is, you know, Billy Price and others, compete and get your job back. You know, if, if the decision has been made right now that these are the guys starting the Seattle game, doesn't mean it's it's locked and loaded for 16 games. I'm not saying it's cast in jello, but I'm not saying it's cast in stone either. You know, I mean, it's I think it's like we're, we're going to go this way. We feel like they've earned it, and over a long period of time of you know OTAs and mini camps and training camp and you know uh, all those things, we feel like this is the way we want to go. But I mean, there's no reason to assume the fetal position and give up on the fact that you couldn't have the job at some point in time and the thing is in this league with injury every, we talked about it many times every play 100 percent injury risk to every single player so you're doing yourself and your team a disservice if you're not ready to jump in there 
whatever the case may be, if it's due to injury or uh, inconsistent or, you know, not, not good enough play, you get an opportunity. You better be ready yourself to take advantage of that opportunity. You're doing a disservice to everybody across the board. So I, I, I like that, that, that message that's being sent. Everybody work. Everybody work to the best of your ability to work and then let the chips fall as they may. But, you know, don't take anything for granted. Don't coast. Don't put it in cruise control. I've arrived. I'm the guy. Dangerous. They've already set the precedent. They've shown uh, what can happen. And I'm not saying that that happened to those guys. But if you're in that mindset and you think that, that you know, that I'm, I'm good, boy, in this game, never think you're good. Always realize there's somebody, you know, dying to take your job. Talking about taking advantage of an opportunity, then there's Damian Willis, undrafted rookie wide receiver out of Troy. Typically the kind of guy that's going to play a million snaps in the final preseason game, trying desperately to make the roster or even the practice squad. Well, again, being totally frank on Sunday, Zach Taylor comes out and says he's going to get the final preseason game off. He's made the team right now. He is the starting X receiver in week one in Seattle. And, you know, all he does is he's, he's a perfect example of what we were just talking about. Go out there, give your best effort. Um, don't overthink it. You know, don't assume all these variables and start talking yourself out of things or into things or whatever. Just go out, perform, know what you're doing, how you're supposed to do it, and do it to the best of your ability and let the chips fall as they may. You know, unfortunately for the, for the organization, but fortunately for him, A.J. Green got hurt 45 minutes into the first practice. A.J. Green would be the X receiver if he wasn't injured, but he's injured. So somebody has to fill that, uh, that spot. He went out and won it. God bless him. I mean, congratulations. That's one hell of a story. And, uh, you know, everybody should take a look at that. John Ross basically hasn't taken us this, this Sunday as we're speaking at this practice. This is the first uh, practice that John Ross is going to be involved in. So two, theoretically, you know, two starters – haven't even participated. So that gave him an opening. But it gave everybody else an opening, too, and he's the one that rose to the top. He said, I'm going to be the cream. I'm going to rise to the top. And, you know, you hear the other receivers talk about him. Like when we talked to John Ross today, Dan, he said, this guy can do everything. And Speaking he, of Damian Willis. Yeah, speaking of, of Damian Willis, that I can't believe that he's this talented and there was no buzz about him, absolutely no buzz about this, this guy because he can do everything. That's from a, you know, a, a guy in his position group that he's going to be competing against you know, now, that, now that Ross is back in, in the practice field. But he, he respects him. I mean, he's like, wow, look at this guy. And everybody respects him, including the coaches. And they made the decision. He's not going to play against the Colts, and he's going to line up uh, out there in Seattle and, and get after the Seattle defense and that crowd noise and try to make some plays and, and help win a football game. And I, that's just – in, in, in conversation with him, he played quarterback earlier in his career. He's played not only quarterback with a Q, cornerback with a C. So that's a good pedigree. As a quarterback, he knows, you know, what he's trying to look at to decipher things. And then on the flip side, having played corner, he knows techniques that are going to be employed against him now that he's a receiver. And he can see, read things and understand coverages, holes in coverages you might be able to take advantage of, how he can beat techniques what guys did to him when he was playing cornerback that gave him problems in terms of releases off the line of scrimmage and those kind of things. So the fact that he understands coverages because of the quarterback and cornerback play, I think has helped him immensely in his transition to wide receiver position. 
I said to you after Zach Taylor's news conference, these were Patriots moves to me where it's all about the meritocracy. The most deserving guy gets the position. And I'm going to give some credit to Mike Brown and the the Bengals' upper management in giving Zach Taylor and his coaching staff the total green light to say, hey, you got to coach these guys. You decide which guys are most deserving of the playing time. Absolutely. And I think think that such a young head coach and a young coaching staff, I, I, I think they feel like, you know what, if the young guy deserves it, let's play him. I think, you know, Marvin being an, a veteran coach with a vet, more veteran coaching staff, trusted veteran players. It's like, you know, I'm not sure. I remember, you know, when I first came in the league, I didn't know this. I didn't know what I didn't know. Now I know, and, you know, as a coach, and I know players. I don't trust rookie players. And, but this younger coaching staff seems to not have as big an issue with that. And, you know, and that's a philosophy. That's a mindset. And I think that these young coaches adapt really well to coaching up these young players and and there's a it's all about bonding and relationships and trust and all those kind of things and i think that that you know the the veteran coaching staff didn't have the trust in the young player this group does this group feels like age isn't an issue i mean if you're showing me that you you can handle it it's not too big for you you're going to play i'm going to play you so i think i think the combination of these young guys coming to uh, take advantage of opportunities and being in the right mindset, the right approach, the right philosophical approach, how to handle it all, and coaches that have the right mindset and philosophical approach to coaching him to handle those things, I think that's been a one plus one equals three synergistic type thing, Hmm. you know, getting those guys ready for the roles that they have to play. A.J. Green was in the locker room today for the first time in a while. He's still got the uh, boot on his ankle. He has one of those one-legged scooters to get around, and he didn't feel like talking to reporters yet. But what's your best guess at this point for when we're likely to see him? I would, I would hope, and I guess you know, hope's probably the key word, that it might be the Pittsburgh game. Week four. Week four, the Monday night game, end of September, uh, Monday night in Pittsburgh, because you know that's going to be a tough battle. And if you can get a guy like A.J. Green back for a, a, a contest like that, that's literally getting not a first-round draft pick, a future Hall of Famer, all these things to give you a lift as you're getting ready for that game. Uh, and uh, An offensive playmaker that you know has, has really done uh, good things against the Pittsburgh Steelers, I, I think that would be unbelievable. But if it's rushing it, you know, I think I think week five, that could possibly be the the the, the target point. But I think it's going to be in that area, week four or week five. So, but AJ is a uh, is a quick healer. My understanding is not feeling pain, which is a good sign. Not feeling pain at this point in time. So, you know that uh, he he has always been ahead of uh, ahead of the clock in terms of his rehabilitation. I don't think this thing will be any any different. And it, and it is. It's like He's such a such a genetic marvel and takes care of himself so well that recovery um, is is going to be on the fast side. It's just the way he's built. Let's talk about the wide receiver position going into this final preseason game. There are now five locks essentially: AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, Alex Erickson, and now Damian Willis. What about Auden Tate, Cody Core, Josh Malone? Maybe somebody else. Yeah. I mean, it's – how many are you going to keep? Mm-hmm. Six, seven. You know, you'd think they're going to keep six anyway. Will it be seven? And at, at that point, 
definitely number seven and potentially number six, they're not only competing, competing with the other receivers, they're competing with all the other guys that are battling for the last two or three roster spots that's going to be determined by special teams as well as what you can do at your position group in terms of snaps provided to the organization, to the football team. Cody Core is probably the best special teams player of the group. Auden Tate is limited because of his foot speed. Um, so, I mean, he'd have to do things that bigger body guys do on special teams. He's kind of a tweener special teams guy, not fast enough, but not quite big enough because, you know, I mean, he has speed that's not – he can't be a gunner. Um, but, you know, is he, is he big enough to handle some of the interior things that are done on punt coverage and punt return and those kind of things? So he's kind of finds himself in a conundrum there. But his ability to make contested catches, you know, translates to third down and red zone. And those guys are valuable. I mean, if you – that's the money. That's, those are the money areas. Third down's the money down. Red zone's the money zone in the football field. And if you have a guy that can make serious contributions there like he can, it's, it's, uh, it's a variable number of snaps how many times you're in the red zone. You don't know. You're not going to be guaranteed to be in the red zone three or four times every game. You hope you are. How many third down opportunities you're going to have? You hope you have quite a few. I and mean, there's snaps there for sure. But does that offset the snaps that Cody Core would give you on special teams and maybe an emergency receiver due to injury? And so, and then Malone, you know, Malone hasn't shown himself to be a special teams guy, and he's got raw physical ability that's different. His his speed is off the charts. He's got size. He's got speed. He's been inconsistent with the catch. You know, Cody Core will go block. Auden Tate will go block. Malone's been a little bit more dicey in that area in terms of what. So all of these things, you know. It's going to be it's going to be a tough decision. It's going to be, you know, make a list of pros and cons. And when the when you weigh it out, how many snaps do these pros and cons equate to? And those are the guys who will probably make those roster spots. The, the tough thing is, for Darren Simmons, there aren't as many snaps being provided to special teams from the linebacker position as there are with other teams around the league. So, Rodney Anderson is going to be a potentially a big special teams performer. He was going to play a lot more special teams, you know, than he did uh, last Thursday night, but he got on such a roll in terms of catch and, you know, run after catch. They wanted to see a little bit more of that. So Darren, I think, backed off on his special team snaps. It could be the reverse against the Colts. He may play less snaps offensively, but get a real test by Darren Simmons to see if he can be a guy, because he's going to be the fourth running back, maybe even, you know, he's, he'll be the fourth running back. But but he's going to have to play a lot of special teams if you're that fourth running back. So the fourth running back, sixth wide receiver, fifth wide receiver, where are these special team snaps? Who's fighting? That's what I mean. It's like they're not just competing with their position group. They're competing with the running back. They're competing with the, uh, the defensive back. They're competing with, you know, uh, maybe a defensive lineman that can, like, win. You know, win, win's making the team, and he's taking some special team snaps. So you're competing with all these guys for Darren Simmons, which is a, a big, big uh, – you know, area that's the all-important third phase, special teams wins and loses games for you. So all those snaps are vitally important. If they wind up signing somebody that gets released by another team, what position do you think that guy will play? In my mind, linebacker. You know, I mean, I, I, I could see on merit, and, you know, I'm not sure that you, you know, make the, you might make the roster close to this defensively, but there's 11 defensive linemen that I, I'd like to have on my football team. But you can't keep 11. Or can you? Uh, 11, four linebackers. And, you know, you have to have more than four. And 10 defensive backs. 
That's how I do the 25. I'm, I'm going in a perfect world. 25 offense, 25 defense, three special teams for my 53-man roster. Right now, if I'm going on merit only. Most deserving. Most deserving. 11 defensive linemen, four linebackers, 10 defensive backs. Now, that'll, that'll change. I'd, I'd, I'd have my – I know everybody would know that's not my final roster. You know, I'd, I'd be – I'm not – all my linebackers, obviously, on uh, the 53-man roster honoring this current roster potentially. I'm going to be looking for, for, for another one, maybe another two somewhere else, but – and then make changes accordingly. You know, they, they keep 10 defensive linemen, maybe nine defensive backs or whatever. If you can find another linebacker or two that you think that Darren Simmons feels good about, you know, as, as well as Lou Anarumo, because you, you need to have somebody that you can work with. Can he play defense for the way we play it? And does Darren Simmons feel like he can play special teams, get some special team snaps? So, yeah, I mean, I think – I, th- I think that linebacker position um, is going to be is going to be the one because in in my mind, offensive line, no third tackle is going to be let go anywhere, and maybe there a team is really loaded and they have a fourth offensive tackle that is a good player, but they try to trade. I mean, everybody wants you know if your number four is better than my number three, there's probably a few teams in the league that that is the case with, and they try to make some sort of a trade. So. I'd say that the linebacker position would probably be the one that um, that they may be getting off the waiver wire somewhere. All right. I announced on Twitter we were going to record an emergency podcast in light of today's news-breaking developments, and I asked people that had questions to send them to me via Twitter. So we will take a few Twitter questions as well. This is from Jeff, and I'm going to paraphrase slightly. With the moves uh, announced today with – undrafted free agents starting and young guys starting should the fan base feel optimistic about this coaching staff you know i guess i guess on the raw the raw look of oh my goodness who are we playing i mean these guys these guys don't have there's no fanfare here you know these guys aren't coming out of college they weren't you know everybody's uh making everybody's list they weren't the guy as such well you know some guys slip through the cracks a lot of guys uh a lot of guys have, are in the Hall of Fame, like Mick Tinglehoff. That's the guy that I always come back to, the Minnesota Vikings. This dude was, you know, a 17th-round pick or something. Um, you know, Jim Langer with the Miami Dolphins, another center, was not a high draft pick coming out of, uh, coming out of college. It's, it's guys mature and develop at different times, and sometimes you're not in the, the right situation. Being in the right place at the right time that fits your skill set, it's, it's all – some of it is luck and timing. And – some guys, you know, an opportunity presents itself because in the Bengals' case where you, you've got these guys playing, the first-round draft pick, Jonah Williams, gets hurt before things even start. A.J. Green gets hurt 45 minutes into the first practice of training camp. Two number-one draft picks by the boards. Now you got opportunity. And the guys that seize the moment were the you know later-round draft picks or the undrafted guys. And it's not like Trey Hawkins, he's been here for a while. And he's proven himself. They kept him as a restricted free agent, meaning he's going to make more than $3 million this year. So it's not like they thought, well, this guy is, is questionable. He's a valuable part of this team. Absolutely. I remember when he came uh, from University of Texas as a college free agent. I saw him play at Texas. I thought, you know, hey, this guy played high school football at Texas, went to University of Texas, skins on the wall. Knows, you know, he can play. Paul Alexander saw something in me, broke his leg. Paul Alexander said, we've got to keep this guy around. Keep running the practice squad, you know, let's work with them. Uh, you know, then, uh, you know, it's like he's been through 
three offensive line coaches now, and they all have agreed that this guy has something. And what he has is you know exactly what you're going to get out of him. He's got consistency with a capital C. C on his chest isn't for captain on the, on the jersey. It's for consistency, Mr. Consistency. And that's what coaches love. And um, he's, he's not going to let you down. So, yeah, I mean, and, and Willis is, you know, is a great story. Now, you know, I'm not saying that Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks are trembling in their boots saying, whoo, Trey Hopkins is the starting center. Damian Willis is the starting X receiver. Whoo, man, we're in trouble now. But you know what? These guys earned their, their opportunity, earned their position. And, uh, you know, these guys are NFL players. Am I saying they're Pro Bowl players? I am not. Am I saying they belong in the field in the National Football League? I most certainly am because they've earned it and they deserve it. I can think of a 10th-round draft pick named Tim Crumry. worked out pretty well. No question about it. I can think of 12th-round Bob Trumpy worked out pretty well. So, I mean, there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of cases of, of guys that, uh, you know, you, you, you miss on some. And uh, I'll tell you what, getting Rodney Anderson in the sixth round, that could be a nice steal for the Cincinnati Bengals organization as well in this, in this year's draft. Twitter question from Mark. What's your level of confidence in this O-line? I think this O-line, the one thing that it has is multiple guys can play multiple positions. So the offensive line, and, and you know, I'm saying, okay, you, people are going to be thinking, oh, man, he's reaching now. Are you kidding me? It, it is a plus that this offensive line can go into a game on a 46-man roster for game day and only have seven active and not have to activate eight or nine because of the fact that the two guys that are playing that aren't in the starting lineup, if they have to, they can both play, you know, three positions or more, maybe, you know, four of the five line positions, each of them. I mean, there's that position versatility, and Jim Turner has been working on that. I mean, it has been a rotation in the preseason games. Every series, it's another another mix and match, another, and he's trying to find the right chemistry. And, you know, you, you can argue two ways. You can say, Lyman should – it should work together. My philosophy has always been like an offensive line, five components, four fingers and a thumb. You make a fist, you don't think about it. It just involuntarily happens. You, uh, you know, put the four fingers down and wrap the thumb. That's offensive line play. But in today's NFL, you know, you have to be able to adapt to different guys. And, and different guys are going to be playing different position groups. You can't make the team now as a backup right guard only, a backup center only, a backup – you have to be – if you're a backup, you have to be a swing tackle, a swing guard, being able to play in both, or a swing interior lineman, being able to play center in both guards. So – and they've got that. So I think in terms of that, I feel good. Um, but I, I do think that this offensive line is going to be playing a lot better at the end of the month of September than in the beginning of the month of September when they go to Seattle. I mean, it, it's a group that has not taken a lot of snaps together, loud place, Silent snap count. I mean, all, all the things you're looking at, you say, man, this is a recipe for, oh, boy, a bunch of false starts, a bunch of problems, and, you know, or, or if you're laid off the ball, you know, your only advantage is gone. You're grabbing because they're already beating you, and you get holding pennies. There's all kinds of potential issues out there um, because it is, you know, <laughs> undrafted free agent center, fourth-round rookie at left guard. You know, it's a – Andre Smith has not taken a lot of snaps at the left tackle position. So if he had to play. If he had to play. 
if uh, Cordy Glenn can't make the dance. So we'll, we'll see. And if Cordy Glenn does, if I'm the offensive line coach, and I know Jimmy's probably thinking the same thing, I'm not sure I can count on him to play the entire game at Seattle. I, I'm not sure I can count on him to play 16 games of the season because historically he's shown that he, he hasn't done that. So that's where that position versatility and um, other, guys, other guys being able to play left tackle and right guard, you know, whatever the case may be. We'll see how it unfolds. But, uh, you know, I, I know that as of right now, from what I've looked at, they got like three running plays in and three, maybe four protections. They are as white as vanilla can be, vanilla, vanilla. <laughs> so they're, they're not showing anything that they're going to do. And, and you know, every, but everybody can say that. But this group, I think, is intentionally doing that because their biggest advantage, this is the only year where when they go into their season opener, Pete Carroll has no idea exactly what they're going to do. He's, he's looking at Rams tape. He's looking at Miami Dolphins tape. He's looking at probably Texas A&M tape. Where everywhere Zach's coached, he's looking at offensive tape to see what, you know, it's going to be a pain in the neck to prepare for him. But Seattle will just run their stuff. You know, Seattle, uh, it, it, it's not the defense that won Super Bowls for them. They're not that good, but they've got the best linebacker. Wagner is the best linebacker in football, in my opinion. That guy's going to be somebody you really have to – account for when you're blocking up front with the offensive line. He's unbelievable. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how they how they compete. We'll see what kind of a game plan they put together. We'll see. I think we're going to see things we certainly have not seen in the preseason. That's for darn sure. We've got a bunch of Twitter questions about the wide receiver position. We covered it earlier, except for the fact that I inadvertently left out Stanley Morgan. And he's not out of it yet. The fact that he was hurt last week and missed week three of the preseason, and at this point we don't know about his status for week four of the preseason, that obviously hurt his case. Yeah, no doubt about it. Just, you know, ill-timed injury, and that happens a lot. I mean, guys don't make the NFL because they got hurt at the wrong time and then never get a chance to, you know, work their way back into the mix with anybody, really. It's kind of sad. I see Stanley Morgan, though, as worst-case scenario, practice squad guy that will work his tail off and be probably the best practice squad wide receiver you could ask for. And who knows, there may be an opportunity for him at some point in time during the season And because uh, they've shown that, you know, if there's injury or whatever, that God forbid, or whatever other case it may be, if you're showing that you should be promoted from the practice squad to the 53-man roster based on the way you're working, Zach and this coaching staff will do it. I mean, th- th- what what they've done for this opener proves that fact, so – if I'm a practice squad player with the Cincinnati Bengals, if I'm an agent that I'm evaluating, should my, should my client go to the Bengals practice squad or the Chicago Bears practice squad? I'm saying the Bengals are giving all these guys a fair shot. I, I, think, I think my guy might, might be better off in Cincinnati. Twitter question, John Jerry's quality of play. John is uh, you know, not, the, not the same guy in terms of his footwork as he was in the earlier stages of his career. He's a nine-year player. He missed la- – he sat out last year in its entirety. So, you know, he's, he's longer in the tooth. He's on the back nine. I don't know what hole he's putting out on, but he's on the back nine. So but, – but what he's got is uh, experience, intelligence. Uh, Jimmy Turner and, and, and he have worked together prior to this in Miami – so he knows exactly what Jimmy wants. He can demonstrate techniques that Jimmy Turner's talking about because he's done it before. 
Jimmy Turner can throw up tape of him playing for the Miami Dolphins. This is exactly how we want it done. And the guy that's doing it is sitting right here in the room with you guys, you know, John Jerry. And he's shown he can play guard. He's shown he can play tackle. So he's got position versatility. Um, am I saying he was the player he was when he was, you know, three or four years in the league? No. But uh, can he fill a role they're asking him to fill? I think he can. We'll find out. All right, let's cover one more topic, and that was Saturday's stunning announcement out of Indianapolis that Andrew Luck is retiring at the age of 29. It really saddened me, not only because he's such a great player, but I just admire him so much personally. I admire the things he's done for children in Indianapolis, and it really made me sad that this endless run of injuries and rehab, and he's healthy for a while, and then he gets hurt again, was just ultimately too much for him. Yeah, he's he's a he's a very unique guy. Uh, in the era of Twitter and social media, he has a flip phone. He doesn't have Twitter, but he has a kids' book club. You know, that's him. I think in a nutshell. You know, he's extremely intelligent, Stanford grad that he is. I mean, he's got a football pedigree. Oliver Luck, his dad. Uh, played in the National Football League. I remember playing against him when he was with the Houston Oilers as a backup quarterback down there. And, um, you know, he's he's had a big career with NFL Europe. He was a major executive in that. He's going to be involved with the XFL now. Um, Andrew Luck, you know, has traveled the world. And he's going to travel it some more. Uh, you know, he was over in, in, in uh, Europe when he was growing up when his dad was running NFL Europe. And, uh, he, soccer was, you know, very, very important to him as he was growing up as an athlete. So he, he is, he's so gifted. I mean, he's, he's a big dude. I remember walking by him the first time the Bengals played him in the preseason. He's like, you know, 6'4 plus, 240 pounds plus. And I'm thinking, man, defensive ends and linebackers are going to have a hard time hauling this guy down. But, and it's incredible. You look at him, you think he's almost indestructible. But like he said, for the last four years, he was in constant pain, injury, pain, rehab, injury, pain, rehab, shoulder, ankle, you know, different body parts. He was sacked, you know, more than anybody in the NFL. Um, he's, he's thrown more touchdown passes in his first six years of play than any, anybody in the league in the history of the NFL except for Dan Marino. So, I mean, this guy, and, and part of it was his own fault because he held the ball so long, and he didn't have a very good offensive line to begin with a lot of his career. So, a lot of his pain was self-inflicted by his, you know, mindset and his desire to be, I'm going to tough it out and show, I'm going to hold it to the last second and, you know, just stripe it in there and take the hit. He paid a price. So, um, you know, nobody knows what, it, what it's like for him for the last four years of his life. And just watching him make that announcement and say, I just, I just want a better quality of life than I've had the last four years. And unfortunately, that can't include football for me anymore. And I watched him say it, and the expression on his face, I mean, he was crestfallen, you know, and watching him catch his emotions more than once during the course of his retirement uh, speech. And, you know, again, having a flip phone, everybody's on the sideline saying, hey, man, I'm here, you're retiring. Well, he was going to do it. He was going to make the announcement after the Bengals preseason game. But somebody in his inner circle let it out. That's who should have been booed. No question. And that, boy, he was really hurt by that one, being booed, that one. Because, like you said, Dan, I mean, he, he's given his heart and soul to Indianapolis. He said multiple times, this is home. Indianapolis is a great city, and, you know, I've been adopted here, and, you know, all of that. And then for him to get booed like that, and, it, you know, it's such a knee-jerk reaction. And at that point, maybe there's 5,000 people left in the stands, but they were booing him, and it was loud, and, you know, but you, you can't, when they have time to think about it, um, it, 
you know, that that's not how I don't think the city of Indianapolis is going to feel about it when they have time to digest it. All right. Your role in this emergency podcast is complete. I appreciate your time. My pleasure, sir. While A.J. Green will definitely miss the start of the season, there is at least hope that John Ross will be back in action. He injured his hamstring in a walkthrough before the Bengals held their first training camp practice in Dayton and finally was able to practice on Sunday. That gives John two weeks to get up to speed and two weeks for the coaching staff to determine if he can contribute in week one against the Seahawks. My colleague Wayne Box-Miller, host of the Bengals pre- and post-game show on the Bengals radio network, went one-on-one with Ross at his locker on Sunday. How does John Ross stay calm? Because I know you chomping at the bit. I saw you worked out this summer very hard with T.J. Hushmazada. But how do you stay calm knowing, like, man, I just I, I just want to get going? Yeah, that's the hard part for me, man. Staying calm is just because I, I want to be so I want to be so great. I want to. I just want to do so much, you know. And I think that's why, you know, I I tend to hurt myself a lot as I try to do too much. Um, you know, you know, me being calm is the hardest thing for me, but. Um, you know, I just try to stay modest about who I am and try to relax and, you know, just let my game speak for itself. Speaking of speaking for yourself, you become like a touchdown maker. Uh, I think a lot of people thought you were only speed, but they didn't realize that in the red zone, you're just as effective as if you had an open field. Right, right. And that's just my biggest thing. I mean, you know, I had to find my, you know, uh, my position last year. You know, it was, it was kind of up and down for me, you know, but um once I realized that, you know, I, I come alive in the red zone, you know, I had to keep that alive in each and every game. You know, my main goal is to get in the end zone and help the team win. Do you feel a little, um, I don't want to say pressure, but a little bit more responsibility with A.J. out to try to really make sure you get back and just contribute? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I felt, you know, not even so much of his pressure, just I'm just so anxious. I felt I, I felt the same way when, you know, when he's here, you know, um, you know, because it's just – given where I was drafted and given, you know, the, the expectations, you know, I just got so much expectation for myself and I haven't been able to fulfill those yet. So, you know, so I'm working on that and I'm, uh, you know, each and every day I'm working on getting better and trying to bring something to my game that I didn't have the previous two years. And lastly, as you, you look at this year, you know, you get more comfortable every year, no matter what craft you're in. Uh, talk about your comfort level, just playing and with this offense and being in uh, the system. Yeah, just less thinking, you know, uh, the more comfortable you get, the less thinking you the less thinking you do, the faster you play, you know. So that's kind of just my biggest thing right now. I'm trying to just relax and have fun, you know, and not go out there and think about how to catch the ball, how to run this route, or, how you know, just go out there and have fun. Thanks, Box. The final game of the preseason gets widely mocked because very few starters league-wide will see action. But for players fighting for spots near the end of the roster, the final preseason game could determine if they have a job that pays six figures next week, or if a lifelong dream is coming to an end. I spoke to a Bengals player on Sunday who made it abundantly clear just how important week four of the preseason is to him. We're in the locker room with Bengals defensive lineman Andrew Brown. Through three preseason games so far, you've had more snaps on defense than anybody else on the team. Has that been a good thing? Hey, I think so. <laughs> I would like to say that, yeah. It's a lot of work. So. Yeah, 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 it's a lot of work, but you know what? I'm built for it, you know? I'm built to work hard, and I can honestly say, like, it, it does feel like it's starting to pay off, so can't speak too soon, though. You know, got one more game ahead of me, and 
I'm focused on the courts right now. Just got to keep my head down, keep grinding. And like I told you earlier, you know, just got to stay confident and consistent. You know? How important do you feel that fourth preseason game is for you personally? Ooh, I'd say it's, <laughs> it's life-changing, mm. I should say. <laughs> this game right here is either do or die. And I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know, I'm looking forward to it. We're talking to Andrew Brown. You had a sack in the preseason opener. So far, you've got seven quarterback pressures, which leads the team through three preseason games. What are your strengths as a pass rusher? Um, I would definitely say number one is my quickness. You know, I'm very quick. Uh, got good speed. I'll probably say um, my power as well. I'm quick and I'm powerful. So those are my top two attributes. How far have you come in that department from your first day in Cincinnati until now? Man, I've come so long of a way. So long of a way. And I'm only climbing. Like, still got to keep climbing. Um, but I've... I definitely see it. I feel a huge difference in myself, you know, and I'm proud of myself. We're talking to Andrew Brown. You've got a new defensive line coach this year in Nick Eason. Spent nine years playing in the NFL. Won a Super Bowl ring with the Steelers. Was still playing this decade. What impact has he had on you? Oh, man, he's had a huge impact on me, man, you know, because the one thing that he preaches is um, just having honesty with one another. And, um, preaching brutal facts and he's going to let me know you know if I'm doing good I'm doing good if I'm doing bad I'm doing bad he's going to coach me up in certain positions but also he's a like he's a player's coach so I feel a lot looser you know I feel like I can really move within the defense with him like I'm um, not so much worried about messing up I'm just more so worried about you know focusing on my keys like he always tells us and um, I, I love coach I love that coach you're a high energy guy very enthusiastic at practice Makes me think you love the game of football. Is that the case and why? Man, that is the case. I've been playing this game since I was four years old. And how do you not? <laughs> like, you've done something for so long in your life. And you put so much time and work and blood and sweat and tears into it. And when it finally comes to start paying dividends, you know, you're doing something that you love to do. And that you've done all your life. And, hey, it's a blessing to be here. There are guys, though, that, hey, it's it's a high-paying job. I mm -hmm. do it because it's a high-paying job. Mm -hmm. You just strike me as somebody that you enjoy practice, you enjoy everything about it. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And more than more than that, though, is the grind. Like, because with the grind comes success. So if you put the work in, hey, the right way, anything can happen. Last question for Andrew Brown. You didn't get to play last year due to injury. What did you miss the most? Man, what do I miss the most? Just being out there with a group of guys that I lay on the line for and contributing to the team. Like, that's my main thing. Like, it just sucks watching, you know, especially, like, when you're not having that much success in the game. It's like, dang, like, I wish I was in there to help. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, that's more so what I was missing the most. But now that I feel like I'm in a position of power now where I can help my team, you know, that that's that means the world. It's been a great preseason so far. Best of luck against the Colts. Thank you so much, sir. That's Andrew Brown. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or leave a comment. 
Your feedback has been great, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde. Thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.